Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Net Positive Podcast. A podcast which educates and inspires marketers, product managers, and companies in the best way to generate and optimize your flows. We're your hosts, Matt Brown and Jess Walker, and we will bring you the latest on how to improve your sign-up flow, increase your leads, and grow your business. Let's, Let's jump, jump in. in. Today's episode is with Tamim Norzad, who's a product person through and through with an amazing career. He started out as a mechatronics engineer of all things, and then he moved to product, and he was one of the first product people at Airtasker, the director of partnerships at Bright, the head of product at Traber, and now he's the head of product at Pocketbook, Australia's most loved personal finance management app. Today, we learn about how to build trust within your customers and double the conversion rate within the onboarding process, where psychology plays a part in the user experience, and the future of personal finance software. Let's dive in. G'day, Tamim. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Hello. Thanks for having me. I thought we'd kick off. You know, you've had an incredible career to date. You know, obviously, Airtasker in the really early days before there was a such thing as product managers. Um, tell us a little bit more about your journey for the listeners at home. Yeah, I had a bit of a strange journey. So I started off as a mechatronics engineer, um, working with physical products and mostly with uh, robots. So I spent the early years of my career just building some really dangerous looking robots that would go around and chop meat up and x-ray meat and find out the best way to chop it up through the bones. Did you use any of those skills for like battle bots or anything like that? No, unfortunately not. I think I did something at uni, but after that, it was just kind of like, no, no, we're just going to stick to chopping um, meat up. So, <laughs> Kind of like a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, some really awesome machines. And um, yeah, so I spent most of my early career doing doing robotics and then I decided to make a switch and go into um, something a little bit more digital and more tech. I've always been into tech. And so I moved into um, a, a role that was more around um, automation, but also software and, and digital as well. I spent some time building the autonomous distribution center for Woolworths. And then, yeah, from there, I had a bit of an epiphany where uh, I, a friend of mine at Woolworths and I were looking at Facebook groups and we realized there's a lot of people who are sharing their, their work schedules and saying, look, you know, can you cover my shift? I work at Starbucks in the city and I can't cover my shift. So some, can someone else do it for me? Another Starbucks employee, maybe from another site would say, yes, I could do it. I can cover it. And then we had a great idea to kind of build a product like that. That was a really strange experience because we had the idea. We had, we kind of knew what we wanted to do. We knew there was a demand, but we had no idea what, what to do with it. And so at the time I went and approached um, a person by the name of Brad Banducci um, at Woolworths who at the time wasn't the, the CEO, but now is the CEO of Woolworths. And he thought it was a great idea. So that kind of validated a little bit more for us. And then that's when I decided to kind of go out and look for someone to back us and build this. And that's when I met with um, Jonathan from, um, from Airtasker at Tankstream Labs. So after having a chat with him, it, it, I soon, we soon realized that we were, I was building a similar product to what Airtasker was doing. Just more, instead of a B2C, it was more of a B2B kind of facing product. Yeah, he basically, I, my wife at the time was like, don't start your own business. We just have that have a baby. <laughs> I, I made the, the right choice, I think, and, and didn't start the business and, and went to work at Airtasker. What employee number were you, were you at Airtasker? I think I was maybe 18 or 19. Um, but okay, I was so pretty early. The second product person there. So the, the original product person left a week after I started. So it was a bit of baptism by fire, um, and not just in the product, but also in, in just starting at a startup, coming from a kind of 
commercial background or corporate background, it was really weird to go and see people in shorts. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you could never go back from there by the you know the rest of your career so far. Yeah, no, I, I just wear shorts twenty four seven now, so that's my life. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And then from there, was it was it pocketbook from there? From there, I spent some time at a company called Bright, um, where I spent a short stint there, and then Ansarada, and then. I joined a company called Trader after that, um, which uh, was an awesome company. We basically built the app from ground up, and that was a really great experience to be able to build something from zero to having a product to market um, and to mm. market and to actually see users, like the first user download it, sign up, use it, watch that experience and, and watch the app grow. That was fantastic. What, what does Trader do? So Trader is uh, a market network for builders and for people looking to build, so mm. consumers and builders. So the builders can can set up projects and manage their team through there. Um, they can also manage their client through there. And from a client's point of view, it's awesome because you get pictures of your property developing. You get the seed communication between you and your builder. Um, there's a lot of, I don't know if you guys have built before, but it is a really painful process. It's a nightmare. It's the number one cause of uh, marriage breakups. <laughs> is it? Oh, there you go. I, th- I thought maybe that was IKEA furniture, but. <laughs> I hear furniture and then builds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it is a very painful experience, and and depending on how good your builder is, um, I mean, builders are great at building, um, but not the best at communicating. So this app really just took the pain out of it, um, and I'm hearing a lot of great things about it. So yeah, from Trevor, it was um, I got approached by a friend of mine to have a look at Pocketbook and try and run the product there, and um, I had been a Pocketbook user for a while. Yeah, I just, I just thought it was, it was an awesome product and something that I really wanted to kind of get involved with. So for me, any product that helps people um, in their daily life is something that I really want to be part of. And I really, really enjoy the fact that they can help people, you know, save money, spend their money smarter and actually see where their money's going. I thought that was really cool. Um, and having a look at what customers were saying about it, it just kind of um, sealed the deal. So a lot of people are very much advocates for Pocketbook, yeah. And so your time at Pocketbook, obviously, have you worked on the onboarding flow there? Yeah. So, I mean, the product was fairly, um, it was evolved to a point where it kind of stagnated and sort of found a stable um, a stable path and it just kind of stayed there. And yeah. so when I joined, the onboarding was very much, um, hadn't been changed for a long time. So probably 12 to 18 months. And yeah, that was, that was the, one of the initial things that we wanted to update was the onboarding flow because of the... Um, the metrics that we had from, from signups to, to adding their details. Yeah. Amazing. I, we met um, last week and after meeting you, I downloaded the pocketbook app and I went through the onboarding flow and I saw that I had to give over my bank details. And do you see that as a big point of friction for a lot of customers? And does that, does that um, induce a lot of drop off or, you know, how do you, how do you solve that? It's a very big, big problem with most apps is, mm-hmm. is giving away your, any kind of banking details or financial details. So with Pocketbook, the way it works is you actually, when you sign up, um, you give your standard email phone number, and then we actually ask for your bank details. Um, so it's not just your your BSBN account number. We actually ask for your bank login. Yeah. So we say, how do you log into your online banking? And um, then what we do is we store the, encrypt those details, store them, and then we use those details um, when we go in and sync your account. So basically what we do is we log in as you, we pull your transaction data, mm. we categorize it for you, and we show you where spending um, happens. So that can't be done unless um, we actually have your, your banking details. So that's a, it's a really scary step for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found in, when I first started that the, the uh, conversion rate was, was, was fairly low there. Um, and what we did was we actually had a look at 
how uh, or why users were were not converting there. So it was interesting. We we tried to do a few surveys where they had to go to a Google form or or, or some type form, and we realized we had a big drop off. So people didn't really want to answer. Mm. Um, so we did a cool little trick where we just we actually sent an email to users who had signed up but not added their bank account in the last X period, um, and then. In that email, we actually had a few clicks that were Bitly links, and in, in the email was the actual reasons why they didn't add their bank account that we thought. Um, and then what happened was what we saw was people were clicking on the link, but then not waiting for the page to load. So we actually captured that that um, the, the quantitative results. So we actually captured how many clicks were for what reason, and we soon realized it was um, people were, were really worried about security, and you know who who has access to these. To this data, mm-hmm. what people, what we can do? Can we just log in as them and start spending their money? Um, do we make transfers? So there was a lot of um, concerns around security, um, and then there was also a, a, um, uh, another reason around um, not having their actual bank. So we didn't actually support the bank that they were with, and so that was a drop, natural drop-off rate from there. Um, the first, the the not having their bank is a is a fairly simple solution. We basically we um, extend our coverage for for financial institutions. Um, and we're already underway. With, we're partnering with um, an aggregator to actually help us do that. Um, but the second one was a little bit more complex because people are worried about security. And so we had to try and understand um, their security concerns and what they were trying to do. And then how we actually got around that was we um, addressed their concerns upfront. So instead of kind of um, delaying the process or sending them emails as they signed up, we basically said, Upfront, here's what we can and can't do with your data, and here's what we do with your with your details. And we realized um, also, um, so once we we um, showed that information, we saw the sign up process, um, the conversion went up, um, and then one of the, the third reason why people weren't actually um, progressing was because they didn't understand what the product could do for them. Yeah. So they would have seen something online, they would have seen our website, um, and kind of or heard, you know, a friend talk about it, um, word of mouth or something, but they didn't really understand why do I need to my, give my details to you? What value do I get out of it? And so what we did was we actually um, showed some explainer screens up front where we said, this is the value that we bring to you. You know, we categorize your transactions. Um, we show you where your spending goes. We allow you to create a budget, set up bills, et cetera. So once people saw the value up front, they kind of did a balance. It was kind of like a, a balancing act in their head where they saw, well, this is a risk. This is the benefit. Is mm. the risk, you know, do the risk that way, the benefit or the benefit that way, the risk. And we saw the conversion increase a lot. Um, so we doubled that conversion with these two, two um, basic tricks and or, um, I wouldn't call them tricks, but um, techniques. We actually mm-hmm. saw that we doubled our conversion. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, it, 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 we didn't expect it to, go, to be that big, but um, over a period of two months, we actually saw that conversion double and it's kind of remained stable around there and, and um so it works really well. Um, just letting people know upfront what's the value, like what do you get for your details, and so that that worked out really well for us. Yeah, it sounds like you've done a, a great job of of you know getting the user to really trust you to provide what is uh, often quite a barrier, you know, in terms of viewing over such personally identifiable information. And so you know, Pocketbooks had some incredible success because it's been able to do that. But I guess one of the one of the things I'd love to dig in a little bit though, is obviously you have such a diverse range of customers turning up for such a diverse range of reasons. And, you know, if, if, ever a, if every customer has a different need, how are you How are you kind of making sure you flow on boards uh, this diverse range of customers? You know, are you using conditional logic? 
So currently we don't use any conditional logic. We know that users come to us for um, a, a kind of like a, we have a short list of the reasons why people come to Pocketbook. Um, what we're developing right now is this conditional logic to actually say, you know, if you come to us because you're trying to reduce your debt, for example, then we take you through a different flow. Um, if you come to us because you just want to see where you're spending and it's, you, you just want to see some cool stats about yourself, we take you down a different path. If you want to, if you come to us because you know you're saving for a big milestone, it could be you know a new house, a wedding, a baby, a, a holiday, or a dream car. Mm -hmm. We take you down. We will take you down a different flow. So we understand the reasons why people are coming in. We're basically putting the conditional um, logic in shortly, um, and the idea behind that is you want to show people um, what's relevant to them. Um, and and there are situations where not everything that you show to them will be relevant, but. Um, upfront, you want to you want to understand why they're coming to your platform, so then you can address that and show them the correct information. What are you expecting that to do? Like, have you got any hypotheses on on what that will do to acquisition? We're expecting probably a ten percent lift on acquisition, but we're also expecting the engagement to go up. So as a user comes in and they understand the value that the the app drives, they should see we should see an increase in engagement. So monthly active users. Um, and the idea is if you can address that problem up front, you build trust with the user. Um, and the thing with finance is very similar to um, finances are very similar to health. So health apps, et cetera. And yeah. if, if you can keep the user engaged for one, two, three months, um, they are more likely to remain a lifetime user. Uh, and the thing with finances is it's very cyclic. So you get your pay, it goes in, you kind of, you might slightly change your behavior in that pay cycle than the next pay cycle. So it's kind of like, it's not a set and forget. Um, and the beauty of it is once we understand why the user's there, what the use case is, for example, if they're there to pay off their debt, then every kind of month we can give them that push notification or that reminder that, hey, you know, remember to pay off your debt, put some money aside for your for your savings um, to pay off the credit card. And we, and we, we try to encourage them. So depending on the different reason and what their objective is will actually encourage them to kind of um, take positive actions towards make, getting, a, uh, I guess, uh, a better understanding of their finances or um, trying to achieve their target um, financial goal. So the the idea is if, you, if we understand why you're there, we can present you the correct information, but we can also present um, you with an engagement engine or engagement model that's relevant to you. So if you're there just to see your finances, you're not going to really you know care about us pinging you all the time about mm. reducing your debt. When you're saying if you've got that customer for three months, you're usually going to get them for life. So how do you keep them on for that first three months? And have you had any, you know, interesting experiments around churn rate or, you know, retention and what's worked and what hasn't worked? There's a, there's a concept that's like the, what is your stickiest, what does your stickiest user look like? Mm -hmm. um, and to understand that you have to understand, you know, the different cohorts that come in and why one cohort stays for X period of time and why the other cohort leaves. And, and how we do that is to kind of follow what the user does. So we realize there is this kind of this lifetime funnel that if a user does, um, you know, action X, Y, Z, then they they will stay, you know, three months, four months. If the user does just X, they'll stay for two weeks. If mm -hmm. they do X and Y, they'll stay for a month and a half. So that understanding what that funnel is, is really important upfront. And because then what you can do is you can develop um, an onboarding program to try and guide the other users down that path. Mm. Um, because if you, so for example, if someone, um, we know if someone sets a budget in Pocketbook, they're more likely to stay um, a, a frequent user, an active user, because it's cyclic and it's something they keep coming back to. So part of our onboarding strategy is to um, inform users of the benefits of a budget, 
present that to them as part of an onboarding task and then um, kind of nurture them into that that process to try and push them down that path um, to create a budget. Because we know if they create a budget, they're more likely to stay. I actually want to dive in a little bit into, you know, this isn't necessarily pocketbook specific, but into, into, you know, your career to date, you know, breakthroughs and aha moments typically happen at the confluence of seemingly unrelated disciplines. You've got an awesome background in robotics engineering. How does that influence your work as a product person? And, you know, have there been any aha moments that have come out of your robotics background when you've been getting into software? Being an engineer, I, I, I approach things with a lot of very basic black and white logic and it's like well this seems like a logical thing to do and then that's kind of the process and that that works really well um, when it comes to problem solving so a user is trying to do x this thing is blocking them how can we get rid of that 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 thing to allow the user to do that Um, and where it doesn't work is where it becomes um, unquantifiable or where a user might take what we think is an illogical step um, and so that, that, that can be a little bit jarring and that was upfront. What, what I noticed was, um, as engineers, that becomes pretty jarring to think, you know, why would a user do that? It doesn't make sense for a mm. user to do that. Mm. They're not robots. Yeah. The robots haven't taken over yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Very, yeah. We expect people to be robotic, but they're not. Um, and, and so that, that was really interesting uh, to learn upfront that people, take weird actions and they have their own motivations behind that. So it's very, very important to understand the why. Mm. Um, and we had some really, so at Airtasker, we had some really cool moments where, um, you know, we would see certain things happen um, in in the marketplace. So we would see, for example, someone's conversion would be really high from a, from a kind of a task point of view as a worker. Um, and other people would have the same kind of profile, but be lower. And if you look at, you know, uh, the user might have a profile photo that is actually them smiling, for example. So that that was like um, some things that you wouldn't normally understand quantifiably until you start to look at it more in detail and you kind of understand the user behavior, the psychology behind it and how, you know, a simple um, smiling photo in the profile can actually convert higher than someone with, you know, just a standard profile or something that looks a little bit fake or Photoshopped. Yeah, that's awesome. And on the psychology piece, since starting your career in product marketing, product management, have you seen people's, you know, mindset shift on what kind of info they're willing to give over? Like back in the day, were they giving more or they're giving less? And is it because of all the, you know, the trust factors that you put in place or the encryption that we put in place to kind of build that um, belief that the company isn't going to do anything wrong with my, with my information? How have you seen that change over time? Yeah, I think it's changed a lot with the generation. It's a generational shift, I think. So, um, in when in my generation, basically, we we were like, oh, you, you don't give your credit card details online. That's that's a no no. That's why PayPal existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over time, we saw that people were saying, well, actually, you know, they have everything about you on social media, so your credit cards the last thing. And then um, and, you know, slowly, people start to give their financial details, credit cards. Um, bank statements, et cetera. And so we're seeing that there is a generational shift where people of the, of the younger generation are more inclined to give up their details if they can see the benefit. They, mm-hmm. they feel they feel safer with the internet than, than the older generation. And I think that has a lot to do with just being exposed to it up front um, and not being the guinea pigs for the internet. So um, I, our generation probably was more of the <laughs> guinea pig where we saw you know, we saw all everything happen on the internet, go from dial-up to kind of basic broadband and NBN. And so it's it's a generational thing that I'm seeing that a lot of our younger users, even at Pocketbook now, are more likely to give up their, their banking details 
and they can see the benefit in it. Mm. Um, whereas we have a lot of um, of the older generation who do it manually, who are putting cash cash um, transactions, or they they upload their PDF transactions into the to the app as opposed to linking their bank account. Um, so I think that there is a shift towards um, giving away more details if there's value for me as the user. Yep. Um, that that shift is definitely happening, and I think it's just going to happen more and more as we have you know internet kind of coming into our homes and in you know in our wallets and in our keys and our car and everything so it's starting to happen yeah you've had a, a varied career in in product management you know product management pre product management being a thing right through to now where it's definitely a a growing trend in in all of the companies that we talk to what sort of advice do you have for somebody getting into product management right now like you know what what do they need to do what, you know what what sort of traits you know makes a fantastic product manager Product management is really weird. Whenever I speak to someone who's a product manager or who works with product managers, I always ask, what do you think a product manager does? And I've always got like a million different answers. Um, I think where product is landing now is kind of the the, the problem solver or um, the, the it's not really an analyst, but someone who actually looks at the problem then tries to find the correct solution to solve that problem. Um, to be a great product manager, you really have to understand a user's needs, the business's need, um, and then be able to kind of um, articulate that um, and to be able to solve problems. So um, th there's no point being able to, you know, just be the voice of the user if you can't actually create business cases or if you can't actually um, make a relevant functioning product out of that. Um, so it, if, if we always listen to the user, you, you're never going to be paying fees. Everything's going to be free. There's nothing to be charged, <laughs> et cetera. So the, the, there is a serviceability for the user that the product manager can, needs to be the champion for. Yeah. Um, and then there is also the business side to, you know, keep revenue going and make sure the business is actually functioning. Mm. Um, but a good product manager can balance that and, and understand the user needs with the business needs and then kind of um, help the business grow by understanding user problems mm. and helping um, remove those problems. With Pocketbook, you've been there for a little while now and kind of there's fintechs and personal finance apps popping up all over the place. Where do you see the the future of personal finance software going? Uh, I think personal finance management is, is, is going to become um, more involved with uh, everyone's daily life. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of like how uh, websites and product managers took the next big leap um, in product was when we had analytics. And so we can actually measure and, and understand what was happening on our products. Um, so you had things like GA and Amplitude and Tableau, et cetera. And so with, with people's finances, I think that's going to be the next thing. So we, we're already seeing this with you know, banking apps introducing uh, PFM capability, like CBAs introducing categories, um, categorization and category budgets, et cetera. So we, I think we're going to see a lot more adoption of it um, as, people starting to, as people are starting to give up more of their their data to see the benefits. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really evident when you see people like Google who are coming up with their Google wallet and saying, you know, we'll categorize your transactions and et cetera. If users will give up this data more, more easily um, if they see value in it for them. So we're going to see a lot more PFM apps or PFM functionality in, in banks pop up. And do you see financial literacy playing a part in that as well? Because it's all well and good to tell us where we're spending our money, but I mean, we're not taught about personal finance in school. Do you see that becoming a, a bigger thing as well? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Some of the stats that we see about around, you know, people saving um, uh, from some of the insights that we have, it's, it's really 
uh, it's, it's strange to see that, you know, more than 50% of people have, you know, less than $1,000 savings, for example. Um, so it's, it's alarming, um, not just uh, for the individual, but for society as a whole. So I think Absolutely. we need to understand how um, we can help users to spend smarter. So um, not just spend their money, you know, w- wherever, but to actually get the most value for every single dollar that they spend. Um, and to also understand when to save, um, when to use credit. Um, so I think financial literacy is growing and we're starting to see that with the the need for um, things like buy now, pay later and, and the, the mm. demand for that, as opposed to credit cards, because people are trying to, people are, you know, waking up to interest and waking up to paying unnecessary um, high interest and fees. So I think we're going to see uh, financial literacy grow, um, but I think there will always be a level of help or need um, in society, you know, with, with finances. As you start to think about the future of, of your career and as you go, like, where do you go for advice? You know, who do you look to, to, you know, give you a competitive advantage as a product manager? Uh, another good question. We, so I would say the user. So looking at, at um, what, don't look at what your competitors are doing. Look at what your users are asking for and what they're trying to do. So don't just take your user's word, you know, I want this. Don't just go and build that. Um, I, I, I try and look at why users are asking for that um, to truly understand the reason behind it. Coming down to the, the, the root cause um, is really, really important. And that's really where we can get our, we get our real big ideas from is sitting down with our, with our users, asking why about 20 times before we get to the root cause. Um, and that's what really that, that's what helps to, um, everyone stay competitive. So you're going 4X on the five whys. Yeah, literally 4X the five whys and then you'll either have an angry user or you have um, some gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, Tamim Nuzad, Head of Product at Pocketbook, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Net Positive Podcast brought to you by Upflowy. 